Hustle & Culture tonight. My guest tonight is the Robinson family. They're a Canadian family from British Columbia. And they are a permaculture family. They are progressively going off-grid. They're applying permaculture every step of the way, homeschooling their children. And it's amazing. So let's just dive in and hear from them what they've been doing. Hi, Matt. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. It's a little rainy over here. We're getting so much rain. Boulders and trees are rolling into the main highway back into the main city. So, interesting wow. things. It's good you're getting some rain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny, though, because the water in the creeks hasn't reached the 50-year high. Um, so, it's not like it's a 50-year storm yet. But already the landscape's letting go. So, like, trees are, like, shifting because the, the soil has no soil life. And so it's really just dust that's six feet high. And so it, interesting things are happening. Wow. How much rain? How many inches of rain did you get? Um, 11 inches so far. And it's been, that was before it started raining last night and hadn't stopped all day. Yeah, wow. It's a lot of water. Yeah, and for an area that basically didn't get very much water for a long time, I mean, I had areas where last year in the winter I would dig, you know, an inch down and it would be dry as bone. And this year it's wet. It's crazy. It's wet. It's wet everywhere. So I'm super excited about that aspect. Absolutely. I bet. Kind of shows the importance of doing good earthworks, designing for those times when you got extra water and you need to catch it and use it some other time of the season. Absolutely. It's really similar out here on the West Coast. We get all our rain in the winter time, tons of it, and then really dry hot summers. Right. Well, we're in the same we're in the same um, time zone. Um, yeah. you're just more northward. And I'm at 2000 feet. How high are you? About uh, 50 above sea level. Yeah, we're yeah. not far. So we're we're actually probably a little close to each other because you have got that moderating effect of the ocean, right? Yep. Yeah. Right. And so you guys, can you guys do stone fruit? Yep. Yep. Okay, so we're probably very similar actually because the orographic effect. Yeah, I think we're zone 8B. Oh yeah, we are 8B too. Wow. Okay, so we're exact. Oh, that's cool. That is too funny. So you can order from Dave Wilson Nursery in uh, in America, in California, and get like amazing. You could probably get amazing stuff up there, but I'm just saying. Yeah, if the it's the problem is the exchange rate is so horrible right now. Yeah, for you, us. Yeah, we could buy like it's like Canadian pesos right now. You might want to buy from us up here in Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my audience just heard that, right? It's like two for one deal. <laughs> well, uh, all right. So, I mean, and then maybe you can even raise your prices high and people won't notice. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, I'd heard about that. And that's really too bad that it's so difficult. I remember that happening um, at a certain point when I was working on the book. Um yeah, last year it happened with Australia, and then this year it's ha it seems to be happening with Canada. Um, I, w I mean, at some point it's going to happen to us, and then you'll be able to come and vacation here, and it'll be amazing. Uh, yeah, a few years ago we were on par with you guys. We were actually ahead of you guys for 
uh, a little while, about three years ago. Now we're kind of about 40%. Yeah. It costs us about 40 to buy a dollar. Well, Are yeah, I mean, we're, we're linking, uh, our, our, isn't our money linked to the oil and that's the issue? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to get into big money. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I just mean that, like, if we linked our our economy to things that were in finite and a scarcity market, then our money wouldn't have this, like, external effect on our lives. We'd be the controllers of the value of our, you know, our currency. We were at, we were talking about that last night with Sierra here. She was saying, uh, money doesn't, we were watching your video of you planting the uh, food forest. Yeah. And, uh, and you, at the end, you almost said money doesn't grow on trees or something. And then she's like, well, money kind of does grow on trees because trees are money and, you know, it's food and... Right, Sierra? Trees are worth money. They hold a lot of values. So. Yeah, yeah. They certainly do. And I, I I, can't remember who I was listening to, but they talked about how in real estate, a planted tree has a stated value that adds to the land value. And you plant a $20 tree, well, in three years, it's it, it's it, what it's done to the actual value of the property itself is significant. Yeah. Yeah, we have... um. When we had our uh, property done, we had all this topsoil been stripped off of it. Like it was completely barren, right? With a couple of trees of no value that they considered, right? They'd stripped off about $200,000 worth of trees off of it. And they pushed all the topsoil off as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sierra's here joining in too. The other kids are outside so you can actually hear us. <laughs> uh, Sierra's 13. She's our, uh, she's our permaculture designer in the family here. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, she's pretty keen. So we were talking about that too, because we had an assessment done on our place because we're our we're one of the first Cobb homes to be mortgaged. So it was a little bit of hoop jumping to get our place mortgaged because nobody had really put Cobb through up here. Um, you know, they some people had sort of snuck it through as masonry and stuff like that, but nobody had actually admitted they were Cobb and gone through and got a mortgage. So when we put ours through, we had to get our our land valued and stuff like that, and they didn't. You know, at the time, we didn't have very many fruit trees in it, and they came back a couple of years later um, because they wanted to kind of keep an eye on it with the mortgage and stuff. And they came came out a couple of years later, and they redid it again, but didn't put any value at all on the fact that we put in, you know, hundreds of trees, right, of food, food-bearing trees. So it'd be interesting to see. I'd, I'd be interested in seeing that, the fact that they add value to it, because I haven't seen that up here, so. That's interesting. Well, it might be a regional thing, assuredly, right? Yeah. Um. But on top of that, I mean, then the the other reaction I think that people would have is like, well, good, because then they can't land tax you on that value, right? Yeah, I think I think it's probably more along the line of the assessed value on the property for taxation versus, you know, what somebody else puts value on when they come to purchase the property. Right. I think it's the when people come to purchase it, if there are fruit trees on it, if there's an orchard on it, like. In their mind, it is worth a whole lot more, and in reality, that's the truth. And and I feel like that's what it kind of is. I mean, it. What 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 was was there an initial moment that what that drew you to permaculture? Because I feel like a lot of this stuff like comes from an, an internal like compass that we were like, oh yeah, no wait, we want fruit trees. That those are of course valuable, you know. And and I feel like people are either connected to that or disconnected from that. And when you get connected with that, you start chasing that, you know, and start pulling that thread. And so what, what was it that for you guys that, you know, kind of launched you? Because, I mean, my kids are, like, very similar to your kids. They're, like, so into it. 
my son wakes up in the morning. He's like, I need to do a permaculture project. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> Sounds like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a five-year-old and a nine-year-old, and they're like into it. You know, we planted, you know, 13 trees this week. So they, they love it, and they can see what it's going to do. They can see what's going to happen. They know, you know, and it's so exciting. So what, but but for me, you know, I have my own story, but for you, you guys, what, what kind of will, like, cause you to either wake up or see this thing and chase it? Well, I, I grew up in Alberta, and my parents farm about 1,000 acres there. And, uh, you know, I grew up having lots of animals and getting to see this whole cycle of life and nature. But, you know, when you're driving a tractor around and it takes you an hour to drive around the field once, you get a lot of time to sit and think and observe what's going on. And a lot of what I observed didn't look like it was sustainable. And, you know, you could see that you were mining the resources of the land rather than being regenerative with them. And I guess when you start looking around to try to find solutions, uh, it, it doesn't take very long to kind of come along, you know, come up with the same sort of concepts that are taught in permaculture. So once I... I got a chance to do some filmmaking with a guy teaching a permaculture course. And when I got paid to sit there and video record this, I just realized, oh man, this is gold. And uh, it really kind of sparked my interest to want to go in and, and really research it a lot more. And I, I found a lot of the solutions are right there. So, you know, the, I think Bill Mollison has a quote, although the Those problems seem inc increasingly oh. complex, the solutions seem embarrassingly simple. And, uh, you know, I, I, that really resonates with me. And I even went back a couple of years ago to help my dad out <clears throat> take off his big crops. And I was doing my Jeff Lawton uh, online permaculture course while driving around in a big tractor. And it really gave me this uh, great opportunity to view things through, you know, a different lens. And uh, I appreciated that. And I think there's so much value to what permaculture brings to, to the world. I so agree. I feel like it's this, it's the simplicity of it often that is it's the elegance of it that is what we really need because I mean I grew up getting this you know this this huge education I went to, I read all these books had all these big ideas the complexity of life all this stuff and and then I hit that like wall that like existential wall of depression that you hit often in academia where you feel like, well, the world's too complex to actually have uniform change happen. Everyone's doing their own thing. Everyone has, it's all based around self-interest. You know what I mean? You start thinking negatively and it becomes this trap, I feel like. And yep. what happened for me was, is very similar, was I was searching for answers, like for health and for a way to live, you know, economically sustainably. And I, I I didn't find it anywhere and I started gardening and out of necessity and then I found permaculture and it kind of was like hope again. Mm -hmm. and, and and especially, you know, for us that have families, it's, it's what we can tell our kids because it's like when we, like one of the hardest things to do is be in a person that considers themselves like educated and then tell their five-year-old what you actually honestly think about like certain politicians they see on TV or certain things they read or you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Yeah. I was raised a similar way to that too. Like I was raised going to a private school and, you know, my parents, my dad and my grandpa, they were all doctors. And, you know, I went, I was raised going to private school and we, you know, we're doing university math in high school and, but I came out of it and, you know, I said, I felt like I didn't have a lot of real skills. Like, you know, my mom taught me to sew and stuff like that, but I didn't, as far as my education, I didn't, you know, I placed a lot of value on it and I appreciated it, but I didn't, I didn't feel like that's what I wanted to give to our kids. I felt like I, I felt like in a way I, I would trade that all in to be, you know, raised learning some real skills, right. That I felt like were really important that I didn't get. So I, I was raised quite different than Curtis. So it was neat when we met, we both came from totally different standpoints. The way we were raised, he was raised on a farm and he had, he'd learned a lot of those skills. I, I didn't at all. And we, we, um, we were living in a house, um, you know, with a big mortgage and Curtis was working in the film industry and he was away all the time. We had four, four little ones at the time and decided that it wasn't really worth it to do the rat race anymore for us because he was gone and missing it all. And, you know, it was just like big payments in the house and stuff like that and not getting time as a family. So we, uh, we sold pretty much everything we had. We had a little garden at that place and we sold everything we had and, um, and bought a fifth wheel and went traveling to study sustainable building. And that was sort of, that was sort of the turning point for us. Our kids, you know, our older kids remember that as sort of a time where they, you know, they, they had, they have very little attachment to stuff because of that, because, you know, they got rid of a lot of their stuff and, and got to have this time as a family. Right. And, and that sort of was our jumping off point as, you know, changing, changing, stepping into permaculture and changing the way we were going to. Changing what you place your value yeah, on. Yeah. I so agree. <laughs> you know, when you were saying that, I was thinking about how, like, I feel like all walks of life at this time period are experiencing this realization that what we what we were learning, you know, we value it, we appreciate it. It was hard work, right? We put all this time and effort into it, and we cared in that moment, but at the end, it didn't give us what we really needed. And now we're having this realization, and what's so incredible is all of us with... Uh, that are going to have kids or have kids now we're raising kids that aren't going to have this realization because they're growing up with it and understanding it and that's something that i probably won't be ever be able to understand um we we see a lot of kids that are homeschooled here and i find the biggest challenge for me is just changing the lens that i look at things through so you know if i grew up making everything in big straight lines on a farm it's really hard for me to see something different and then wrap my head around it and, and make that change. And I think majority of us have all been programmed through, you know, the media culture. And for us to change and do something different, it, you know, it seems radical and it se- seems extreme, but it's not really much different than what our grandparents did. Um, so I don't really see permaculture as an amazing discovery more than, you know, just recovering, re- recovering things that were already well known a few generations ago. I think it's really interesting to see kids growing up, you know, being homeschooled and getting a chance to do the hands-on learning because they connect with it. And, you know, they get a chance to look at it in a way that, uh, you know, allows them to look at the things that they're being sold in the media in a different light. You know, they can disconnect from it a bit and kind of see the value in it. And they can see the value in the, in the real things and the real skills that they learn. So. Sierra has been really passionate about learning permaculture, and she's a great teacher of it as well. She, she teaches animals. She's done her permaculture design certificate, and she's working on her teacher training this, this spring as well. And it's really neat to see how kids listen to her 
um, you know, a lot differently than an adult, you know, speaking to them. And I think it's pretty amazing to see, you know, her voice in and, and what she sees and the way she looks at the world, just from her experience kind of growing up in it. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, um, reconnecting with our past, I think, is pretty incredible. And I think that's what's so powerful about permaculture is it does reveal, if, I mean, if you go through where they were sourcing a lot of their, um, a lot of the methodologies and a lot of the ethics and principles, it all comes from cultures from throughout time. And you could even probably create a course that's just like permaculture throughout history. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, and it really is, is exciting because it's all stuff that is in our blood, you know, it's in our DNA. We're, and that, I feel like that's why we're at this moment where we're all tying it all together. And I'm really excited to see what the next generation is up to. So you, I saw that you guys are running a family course. Yeah, yeah, we do homes like so every Friday we do homeschoolers come through and um, we do it sort of in six week sessions and then we do family uh, permaculture ones on the weekend as well. So we get quite a few different families here, mainly homeschoolers, but we've been having um, some we're trying to, you know, branch out more to people in the school system and stuff here too, right, that aren't exposed to that kind of stuff. So it's been really great because when you do it, when you have a whole family come out too, you know, the we we sometimes sort of teach towards the kids so that they understand but you can you know your parent it gets the parents thinking and asking questions and then the kids go home excited about this stuff right and want to go home and try this and do this at home and yeah so it's been it's been really excellent and it's really nice for our kids to to be able to you know share sort of their passions and and you know what they've learned as well so do you feel that um that the family format gets more traction in action like, you know what I mean? Because I feel that if we're teaching the whole family and everyone's understanding it and there's and, and the ideas are like the kids are excited and everything, they're going to go home and do something. Yeah. Yeah. I think for sure it, it's trickier to teach a family class. Like if you're if we're doing, say, beekeeping or something like that. Right. Um, it's a bit trickier to teach to a family, like if you have, say, three or four families there, because you, you want you don't want to lose the kids and the information, too. Right. So you want to keep it hands on and interesting enough that the kids really are engaged, but enough information that the parents are also interested. So we did find it a little trickier in that sense. So sometimes yeah. we split split them up so that they're working on the same concepts and understand the same things. But Kind of teaching it to a different level. Different level, yeah. More hands-on. You know, we'll join them together and do hands-on skills together, but sometimes split them off where I get to answer, answer some more of the technical questions to the adults and the kids get to go do something really hands-on and, and, you know, apply the knowledge. So that way when they go back together, they, they are speaking the same language. Absolutely. And a lot of times when you're working with groups and kids, it's like mental earthworks, right, where you're creating, like, a place where there's a spillway for where they have too much, you know, energy, they fill up the swale, they've done the, they finish the activity, then they spill out and can do something else. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> so yeah, no, we have, we have tours and I have classes and I always make it families because, you know, I mean, I think people learn differently in a family context. I think that's what the power of homeschooling is. There's this, this idea of mirror neurons between a parent and child. They have, they share these neurons and when we teach them, we, we're, we're activating these things in each other that are there by design. 
And so there's this power that when we learn as a family, all of our, our deepest and longest held memories are established in family contexts. And I just think that, you know, I mean, if we have permaculture in that context, it's going to be generational. And that's really the, the idea behind permaculture is that it has to be generational. Mm-hmm. And I really think you guys are exemplifying that with this program. Have you thought about um, perhaps doing a documentary? Um, I know there are we some... What? We have one in progress. We have one in progress. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Really? Tell yeah. me, tell me. Well, the one that Curtis started, I'll, I'll let Curtis explain it. It's not, we're one of the families sort of that are um, in it, but do you want to talk about it, Curtis? Sure. Yeah. Well, out on the West Coast, Kim and I have traveled around for almost a year and a half looking at, you know, housing designs and different, you know, and, and different, you know, villages and that sort of thing, trying to find a place for us to fit in. And we traveled around the Western states, you know, Western Canada, you know, all over the place trying to find something where we fit in. And we ended up back out here on Vancouver Island where there's a lot of permaculture already happening. And it was kind of funny because it was right in front of my nose. You know, when I started researching it and finding it, it was like right here. And lots of people with a lot of experience were right here. So I started a project last year. Um, I teacher assisted at a permaculture design uh, course last year with Starhawk and Charles. And uh, some of the students are really keen. Well, there was one, one girl in particular, Nicola, who came back and worked at our firm for about three months. And we started working on a project, a documentary. And we just started finding some of the leaders of permaculture in our area that were really doing things in different areas. And, and we went out and had them tell their story. You know, the challenges that, that they had to overcome to get into it, you know, what their vision was for the future. And, and they all had skills in different areas from social permaculture, community building, you know, agroforestry, you know, farming. Um, one of the guys, Richard Walker, is writing a book on food forestry right now. He's, he's amazing. It's called um, Food Forestry North of the 49th Parallel, which is Canada. <laughs> you might like it in your zone 8B. But I got to go with my dad and Nicola while we were doing some of the filming. And one of my favorite spots we went to was Seven Ravens on Salt Spring Island. It was really amazing. Like they were doing um, what was civil it? culture. Yeah. yeah, like with trees and stuff. Eco forestry. Eco forestry. It was pretty amazing. To be able to go along and listen while everyone told their stories on like the video and stuff so it's going to be pretty cool to put it together as a documentary for other people to see as well yeah, yeah it was inspiring for us and my my vision in media is that people really learn you know film is a really powerful medium and you know if you want to convince people or change people's mind you have to you know, medium like film is such a powerful way to educate people without creating conflict. And, you know, I, when I went back to Alberta and talked to these old farmers that have been doing it for 40, 50 years, you know you're not going to convince any of them and change their minds. So all you can do is drop little hints and suggestions and, and kind of work with them. And a lot of times draw the solutions out of them because a lot of the knowledge is inherently known. It's just people are so conditioned to doing things a certain way. So... You know, working through documentary to me is, you know, is a pretty amazing way to be able to spread the, the knowledge that I think is like really necessary, you know. But even even from what I found 
in my experiences out in Alberta, I just asked questions and I said, well, you know, what did you, what were you doing here that was, has been really successful? You know, out of all the quarter sections that you've been working, what is the best looking soil that you've got? What seems to work for you? And get them to tell you the same stories. And, you know, after they start looking through that lens for a while, they start seeing those things. So even talking with my dad, he'd come back and he'd say, you know, I've got this piece on my section, um, on my quarter section that gets, you know, it's got this great well on it and it's got all this water and the animals haven't been in there and it's still organic and I could plant a whole bunch of fruit trees. They just start seeing it through that different lens of turning it into a regenerative agriculture, even though, you know, the mindset may have been monoculture for so many years, they, they see the value in it. It's just so hard to change you know, the, it's so hard to change the status quo. And to me, film is one of those amazing ways of making that change happen. And starting with the next generation, like the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, thanks. So have you guys traveled down in the States at all? Yes. So you, you taught at Starhawks, I, I saw that. Or I mean, I heard you say that. But um, yeah. so so what's what's the primary? Is there a primary difference between like Canadian permaculture movement up there? Are they ahead of the game? Did they? I mean, is there any difference? Because I mean, I I'm always curious about this. <laughs> oh, we're way cooler, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Colder, you mean? No, just on you know on Vancouver Island, west coast of BC. Uh, there's just a lot of it happening out here. It's I think you know, a lot of it is our yeah. Some of it's to do with our climate and stuff as well. Probably here, right? It's pretty conducive to all a year-round growing, similar to you, right? So I think people are sort of you know there's probably more people in this area maybe than you know maybe whereas it's more spread out in different areas through the states. Wow! But we're starting to see it pop up a lot of places, even like the prairies. You know, where we think it was really quite conservative, you know, the people there. And we're seeing lots of it popping up everywhere. So I think as long as it's kind of just common sense and an approach to people in a way that they just see it as common sense, they can adopt it. And it starts picking up everywhere. I, I, I seem to think that it's really picking up in popularity. Really? So do you think it's getting more popular in Canada than it is uh, currently spreading in America? It's hard to tell because we don't. I, we probably wouldn't know how you know the popularity of it down there. Yeah. Compared no, to yeah, right? Because we don't. We were going to come down this year for um, Sierra to speak down at Permaculture Voices, and then we sort of talked about it as a family and decided that as Sierra. What did you say, Sierra? Um. Well, I thought it, just going down there to speak for like a five-minute speech. It wasn't really the concept of permaculture to drive all the way down there and only speak for five minutes. Right. Yes. I was saying we talk about it as a family and with the American exchange rate and stuff for the Canadians right now. So it doesn't feel very permaculturally, you know. So so maybe we'll miss out on it this year and see what what see if it comes about again. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. find another way. It's more effective way to apply your energy. Yeah, maybe she should do, uh, Sierra, maybe you should do a web series on the on YouTube and or maybe do a, a TED Talk, like a home TED Talk, and then maybe some, I, I mean, I could, I foresee you eventually doing something like a TED Talk or something big like that. I, I was doing some videos with um, my dad and, in the summer, and I was permie girl, and, and I was like this, dressed up as like a superhero with a cape and like my little duck with a cape on as well and i would run into the scene and i would talk about drought like some of the ways to help 
with the drought because it was like such a it was so crazy and dry um this last summer so i was wanting to try to like explain to people some ways to hold more water on your farm like through earthworks and swales and like um rainwater catchments and stuff off roofs so i was doing um a little video and stuff like kind of like a comedy video trying to explain to people some of the easier ways to do things like some of the ways to save water and help instead Hermie girl Hermie awesome. girl yeah <laughs> that's great so you have a YouTube channel for that not um, yet not yet but we were working on it in the summer and I will probably put the video out sometime this summer um, so it can go through so people can watch it over the summer as well and I'm gonna have like a website and stuff. Woohoo! That's awesome. Permigirl.com. That is great. I love it. Awesome. So you'll be able to be the spokesperson for the youth. This will be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, she's a great spokesperson. That's awesome. So what do you? Uh, so are you guys working on anything that uh, that you could share, uh, like a book or anything that iterates how you guys transitioned? Because I know you guys said that there's some pitfalls, that and uh, that, that I tried accessing your um, your website and it was down or something. I know, we got we got hacked. <laughs> oh yeah. man! I'm a bit of a philanthropist. I let some people use my web server, but it got hacked, and I had to start it out. I put about 50 hours this weekend to bring it back up, so it should be running now. Okay, all right, okay, great. Yeah, yes. yeah it's running bare bones right now, so it needs a little bit of its uh, facelift done to it. Well, we haven't written a book. It's finding the time between Milk and the Cow, homeschooling six kids, uh, and all, you know, the regular day-to-day -day stuff. It's... um. We haven't found time to do a book or anything yet, but we've been started, we've been started brainstorming as a family ways that we can build it up and, you know, get the word out there, that kind of thing. So it's in motion. The wheels are in motion. That sounds wonderful. I can't wait. And I can't wait to see that documentary. If you could let us know more about it, maybe on your website, uh, that's going to be great. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, and we have a Facebook page, too, that I kind of keep updated with our classes and stuff like that as well that we do. Well, many hands for Facebook page. If you guys ever make it up here, you'll have to come up and bring the kids up for a visit. Yeah, I totally, I, my wife actually loves to travel, absolutely loves to travel. She moved 23 times before she uh, settled in America in her, like, teens. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so she, she really loves to travel, so perhaps I'll do a tour and film a bunch of things at, at some point over the next year, but... Right now, I'm starting a uh, like a nursery, a plant nursery here at home. Mark Shepard, in his interview with me, kind of just like pushed me over the edge, <laughs> and That's I, great. yeah, it was really funny because it happened all live. Um, and he was like, "No, you should do that." I'm like, oh, "Okay, I will do that." That's awesome. <laughs> we do. We have a little permaculture plant nursery here too, so we sell at the local CD Saturdays, and then we sell at the farmers market here as well. So we propagate seed buckthorn, and we've got all sorts of things on the go. And you know, the perennial thing is that perennial like, superfoods. Yeah, we focus on perennial superfoods and perennial, some perennial vegetables and stuff like that as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And with like sea berry, nitrogen fixing, you know, things like autumn olive and Siberian yep. pea shrub. Well, Siberian pea shrub isn't fruit, but the, <laughs> the the point is having perennials that have multiple stackable yeah. functions is wonderful, and it needs to happen. I'm going to be growing like. 
hundreds of artichokes because they take off and spread here and everyone eats them already. And so... Yeah, our, our kids call the Jerusalem fartichokes. Oh, <laughs> yeah, those, those are different. I'm talking about just the regular artichoke, the thistles. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. That's great. But but we have we ha also have the Jerusalem artichokes, the fartichokes. We have those. But I heard though that if you pickle them, that that takes yeah. care of that. Yeah. You gotta ferment them. Yeah. Yeah. We feed them to the pigs too. You got to be careful. You don't overfeed them to the pigs too, though, because they get the same re they get the same reaction out of it. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, maybe keep the pigs further from the house. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we have we have Sierra's got our little pet pig in the house here right now. We're trying to transition him out. He was living in somebody's uh, house out in Alberta in minus thirty, so we got this little rescue pig here, and we're trying to um, transition him to the real life of a pig on a farm. Oh wow! He's a little, little permy per Pete. <laughs> that is too cute. I, I you know I'll admit I have a bird that. Um, all right, so this bird got I think got stepped on by like a goat when the goat was out or something, and then all the other birds started picking on it and standing on him. And so oh. the bird never got like a chance to really recover. And so we just pulled the bird out and kept it in our front yard. And it gets around just fine and, and just forages in our food forest. And we have water, you know, that's always there and everything. But it's, it's kind of our, our little mascot. And everyone knows Elizabeth is our, our little like, you know, handicapped bird. And she just lives in our front yard. And our dog will sleep with her outside in a, in a, one of those little dog igloos. Um, yeah, so it's it's just yeah we have we have something very similar. It's she she doesn't lay eggs. She doesn't really do very much other than just putter around. <laughs> is that the picture? Is that in your avatar? Is that you holding uh, that bird? Um, no. No, th that <laughs> though it could be. I mean, I guess that could be Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> but but yes, we do have a bird that doesn't do much in a farm sense, just wandering around. Um, but it's our dog's friend, and they stay. They when when we go traveling, they keep each other company, so it's a good thing for my dog. That's great. Now, we can't have a dog because of allergies, so we can't have a dog in the house. So and you know, Sierra gets was quite allergic to our dairy goats that we had before, so she figured a pig was good to train up. Pretty smart. Yeah. Well, so Matt. What? Can I ask you a quick question? Sure. Wait, I'll be really quick. But I'm just kind of wondering what the biggest challenges for you have been getting into doing permaculture. Hmm. Well, it's been pretty awesome, actually. It's, I mean, I'm still, I haven't had to get any extra a, a day job or a side job or a part-time job. I've been able to do just permaculture. Um... So probably the hardest thing, the biggest challenge would be having the time and, 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 and having people who are like-minded around. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that's everyone's problem, no matter what you're doing. I mean, very few people feel like that they, they have plenty of time. And I think very few people feel like they're surrounded by the people they want to be around all day long you know what I mean so I, I don't I don't feel like I'm really unique in that sense I feel really blessed I feel really just I'm still maybe in the honeymoon period of my permaculture um, uh, relationship yeah, uh, yeah. 
I know the turning point for me when the honeymoon was over was when I uh, was getting ready one day to go to the farmer's market like early in the morning and I go to the garden the pigs had got out so we're chasing pigs around the garden trying to load the plants up and then and then uh, Curtis decides okay I'll, he was going to go to the market for me that day so I thought oh this is awesome I have a day off right it's a couple hours off without the kids and so I go down to go milk the cow and she I turn the other way and she just lifts her tail and just craps everywhere and it splatters all over me and I was like yep <laughs> reality has sunk in <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's why you got to like figure out where your lines are and then like design so that your, you know, your comfort zone can stay intact. <laughs> um, Just learn a little further away next time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, my, my wife and I are a really good team because I'm kind of like super gung ho. And I'm like, all right, well, this is what what's the ideal is, and we need this, this, and this. And she's like, how much is this all going to cost? And and I'm like, oh well, oh, oh, all right, I'll be back in five minutes. And then I come back, and I'm like, all right, so it's a lot of money, but we can rate it, and then figure out how we can like build towards it. And she's like, okay, all right, now we're talking. You know what I mean? And so uh, we're this we're, we're we're a great team because we can go back and forth um, and build you know towards that. But it's hard. I mean, it's really hard because if you don't, um, it, all these things are alive that we deal with, all the cycles that we deal with. So if we let them down, or if we fail, or if we don't fulfill our obligations to them, those things die. So whether it's a thirty dollar persimmon tree. Or a two hundred dollar milk, uh, you know, goat that's maybe pregnant, and your advice yeah. about not taking on too much is really critical, because if you don't, if you take on too much, you will lose that shine for this. And there are days when it'll be hard, or like you lose forty birds. I've done that. I've lost forty birds. Um, yeah. And it's brutal, or you know, it, it just, or things don't work out, or an animal gets sick inexplicably and dies, or a loved one gets cancer way too young. You know, yeah, these, these things happen. So, I think a big reason I put that in there was for a reminder for ourselves too. <laughs> I said when we were saying that to him, I was like, I go, you know, because we're constantly trying to remind ourselves that too, right? Like, it's just a balancing act, right? It's like keeping everybody's needs fulfilled like you said keeping everybody happy and healthy and but still progressing forward in a way that you want to see things move right so our right. goal the next little bit here is we're going to get a bunch of our plants in that have outgrown we've got a bunch of sea buckthorn that are root bound and stuff now we've got to get them in the ground so we kind of just you know focus on getting stuff in that we need to and ticking it off slowly right are you sometimes just picking the the things that are the most important and then then allowing certain things to slide just because you need to. I think there's so many different things that are interesting in permaculture and, and I love to learn. So, you know, you, you got to check yourself on that tendency to maybe not take on too many things or, you know, decide out of maybe trying all those things what you find is important that you really enjoy doing. Kind of finding your niche that way. Because I don't think everybody knows what that niche is that they, that they love doing like right off the bat. They might want to explore a lot of different things and take what they've learned from those different areas and apply it to something else. But I know we've tried a lot of different things here, and some things we've kind of let, you know, disappear. Like we had dairy goats when we first started, and we just decided that, you know, for us that that didn't work out, and we migrated to something that worked better for us, like a, a dairy cow. 
And, um, you know, last few years we've been keeping bees. And that's another one of those, you know, things that can be kind of sad to walk out in the wintertime and realize you may have just lost, you know, 25% of your hives due to natural circumstances. But, you know, that's part of, I guess that's part of farming and, and uh, part of permaculture is just, you know, picking those battles and rewarding yourself for those ones that, you know, that you win and, and applying that, that feedback that you learn every year. Absolutely. And stepping back and seeing the bigger picture too, right? Like being able to step back and say, like Sierra and I were planting um, a couple years ago, we were planting asparagus together. And I said to her, you know, you're not going to have to replant these. She was 12 at the time. And I was, however old I was, 36. So I said, you're not going to have to replant these until you're my age, you know, like you don't, 25 years, You these will be here for 25 years. So when you're my age, you might be replanting them. And when you look at it in that picture, it's like, oh, you know, with the abundance that the kids are going to have, right? And that's going to be on this land in the in the future. That's sort of, you know, the, the ability to step back and look at it, the bigger picture, right? Like this hard work that we're putting in now or what's happening now, look what it's going to be in the future too, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think also dealing with frustration because um, when, when we when, when we were displaced from the home front and we're like tackling things at work, we can't even like kind of like explain that to a child. But when we're working the land, working with animals, with our kids right there, and we grapple with frustration and our children witness us do that, we're actually giving them super powerful lessons on how to, you know, to control ourselves, how to act in, in the face of conflict. And, and kids don't get that, you know, they get teachers that, uh, that, you know, show a very, very uniform front in the face of conflict, but they, they accidents happen all the time in farming and they don't in a choreographed school, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. And, and how we handle that, it really defines who we are as a person. And because, I mean, it's wonderful that you guys are doing that. And I feel like those challenges are, I don't know, critical. Yeah, for sure they are. Yeah, and I think uh, having that community to be able to, you know, reach out to, you know, like-minded people where you can share your successes and your losses with them is is really helpful too because, you know, you can feel isolated in the world if you don't have those people to reach out to and speak with. So, you know, being able to have conversations like this with you, Matt, I think is beneficial for the whole community. Heck yeah. Well, I hope, that, I hope that there are families that are listening that are making the transition and maybe feel like they heard something that provides an outlet or a, a relief or a way forward, some way that people can hear us and, and get comfort from, from our journey and maybe get strength. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, you've... It's what? like just sitting back right now, this kind of just reminds me of, of just really reflecting on what the things that you put value on and then looking at the time that you spend and seeing if it's actually on those things that you put value on. And permaculture is a lot of those things that I really put value on, you know, quality food, time with my family. I feel like that that's a that's a missing piece in a lot of the permaculture we see online is that family is a is a and I mean it's the it's the cornerstone of all community is families right so I, I just feel like oh man it's a missing piece like you just said like what permaculture about for me is it's it's family and it mm-hmm. makes community part of the, are part of our family and it makes 
nature and our water cycle and everything part of our family life so it draws all these things that we're like we separated ourselves from with like our design of the you know the urban life or suburban life and it makes it all like like synergistic and so it becomes this beautiful thing that just keeps getting more and more beautiful and i i just think that there's such power there um mm -hmm. that, that um, I think we need to talk more about. I think people need to start looking towards families as the real change makers in permaculture. I agree. Awesome. Well, keep teaching those families on Friday. I love that idea. <laughs> Just looking at my daughter back here. <laughs> She's got a big, a big cup of Jersey milk here. <laughs> nice. Nice. Fruits of labor. I bet, I bet you guys, did you, so you guys make your own butter? Yeah, we do yeah. butter and cheeses and... What's the most difficult cheese you've done? We haven't di dived into the big complex cheeses. I was asking Curtis for a cheese press this year for Christmas, but he didn't have time to make one yet, so I haven't gotten into the, a lot of the hard cheeses. I've just, the kids go through the milk so fast here, it's amazing, so doing lots uh. of... Um, you know, lots of the soft cheeses and stuff like that. Yeah, I did. I, I got into the soft cheeses. I mean, getting the the extra fridge that is going to be the one you keep at the right the temperature. Cave? Yeah. yeah, the cheese cave. Yeah, no, I looked into this too. Um, yeah. We <laughs> the dairy goats, I love the goats, you know, but I was just finding, like, with the dairy goats, we were getting higher, like, vet bills, you know, they were having multiple, like, you know, two, three, but then once in a while, there'd be one dead or tangled up, and I was always in there up to my elbows, or Sierra was in there up to her elbows, and, um, you know, untangling kids and stuff like that, and we just decided for the amount of milk we were getting, our, our one milk goat um, died, she was getting older, and um, we just decided we'd make the switch then to... Um, to the cow, she's less likely to jump the fence into the garden than <laughs> the goats were. Wow. So, I think, you know, I think for us, with having six kids, having a bigger family, right, it was a good, it was a good, you know, a good step for us. And then we feed any of the extra milk, um, it goes into the pigs or the meat birds or whatever we're raising, right? So. Have you tried doing milk kefir to make that, uh, make that milk and do uh, something else to give to the birds? Yeah, we're looking into doing some of that. We've been looking into doing, um, yeah, fermenting it and stuff like that as well. They can't digest it very well, the milk, because their bodies aren't meant to. But I heard when you ferment it, it's easier for them to digest. Correct. That's 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 what people are saying. I've heard that same thing. We did it. We actually uh, would. We actually were getting. Um, grains from a beer like a microbrewery we were getting used up grain from them and we were getting we were turning our excess milk into a milk kefir and then i was doing letting them into an area where i would i would cut back the chia routinely and they would eat it but because the chia is so tall they would never like really eat the eat the eat the stalks so they never like uprooted or anything, so it kept regrowing. It worked really well. That's great. Yeah, a, a chickens are a really good project because they're omnivores, so you can really problem solve in all these unique creative ways of working with them. I think they're a wonderful project for kids. Yeah, that's when Sierra's first got her into, you know, animals and stuff was chickens. She just had Fluffy, right? Fluffy. Yeah, I had a little chicken, Fluffy, and... I, after that, I've always loved chickens, and I like, we're gonna, well, we haven't quite designed a 
permaculture chicken system yet, so we're just starting to like get everything ready so we can make a big system, including our manure pile and a bunch of fruit trees and all of that. So we were gonna we're gonna design that hopefully sometime this year. Like a habitat, that's wonderful. Huh. Yeah, Sierra wants to redo our chicken system. We've got some in tractors here, there, and everywhere right now, but she's got an idea, a big picture idea of the system she wants to do for the chickens. So. She's going to take that on for her project, get some of the kids in our classes involved. They love the hands-on stuff like that. So, We'll be sure to film it and have uh, permigirl, permigirl.com post it because, man, we want to see that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That'll be wonderful. Yeah, don't get up. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and I, I love your energy, I love your family, I love what you're doing, and I'm really excited to see what your family goes and does for, for, the, for the world, really, because what you're doing is what we're trying to do, which is raise kids that are going, that are going to be supercharged with information so that they go out into the world and they're change makers for the most positive possible reasons, you know, and in, po in ways. It's going to be great. Thanks for reaching out, Matt. It's been great to connect with you too and get a chance to talk and it's great. You know, we share we seem to share a lot in, you know, views and in common. So it's nice to have have more people with families doing it, right? Yeah, I think it's really important to point it out because they are we're just really all busy. I mean, and that's the truth. We're all just working really hard trying to get this off the ground. Get our food forest to where we don't have to uh tend them so intensely so that they tend to ask more. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, thanks for the work you're doing, Matt. Thank you. Awesome. And, you know, have you, have you guys checked out my book? Uh, we haven't seen it yet. I've seen the stuff online, but we haven't seen it in, in our hands kind of thing before, so we'll have to order one and get one of those out here. Oh, well, you know what? Let me send you a digital copy of it so you guys can check it out, and maybe uh, you can give me a review, Sierra. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. All right, because it's it's really for like eighth graders, and you're like ninth grade, right? Yep. All right, cool. So you would that so you you would read it, and it would be like totally easy for you. So Sierra shrugs. She's like, I don't know my ninth Eight, grade. Nine, she, <laughs> Woo That's the way to be. Homeschooled, free. <laughs> she's uh, she's grade eight. <laughs> okay. She's grade? like, I don't know. <laughs> It was interesting. It was interesting last year sitting down with her when she was she did the Jeff Lawton course before she went and did her um, PDC. She uh, sat down and did the Jeff Lawton course, and I kind of sat over and, and watched a lot of it while she was doing the, watching the videos and stuff to kind of any ideas she needed to bounce off. And I was it, I was impressed with the amount that practical, you know, just growing up like this, like your your kids will be too. Like they pick up on so much of the stuff just from living it right that it that when she went into her pdc course with starhawk and charles it wasn't a big information overload for her you know she felt quite she felt it quite lived most of it so it was easy for me to understand what they were talking about when some of the other adults doing it were a little bit confused i had already lived most of it like making the swales and i knew how I, how it worked and what to expect sort of while doing the course yeah, we were kind of wondering, you know, she was just turning 13 when she was doing it, and there were 60 students there, a lot of them out of university, and, you know, she was able to just absorb and work at that same level, you know, they didn't need to, they didn't need to adapt it at all for her, she just had that understanding, and was able to explain a lot of the things that were being missed by a lot of people. 
So it was really neat to see just, you know, how much those categories don't need to be put on people. You're in grade something. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, That's why I laughed because I don't really put a lot of emphasis on it. Sierra was like, oh, what, what grade am I? I'm either grade eight or nine, one of them. <laughs> yeah, my you're son's the same way. Candy thing. <laughs> my son's the same way. He's like, I'm some grade. He doesn't know. I mean, like, and, and the thing is, it's like those things are totally meaningless. You go to other countries, they've got different systems, you know. They started reading at different ages, and, you know, it doesn't matter. There's no real, there's no formula for the way humans learn. Uh, there no. are, there's a series of different ways and combinations of ways, that's for sure. Because you're a teacher, right? You were teaching in the school system? Yeah, I was a public school teacher. I've got a master's in education. Um, I I taught teachers. Uh, I did used to do like lectures at teaching conferences and stuff like that. So it's a big shift for you to shift into the mindset of uh, unschooling and stuff being being in the public system, right? No. As soon as you get your master's, they basically explain that that's the way you should be learning. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you paid enough money. Now we'll tell you. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. And it's like, all, and you and you figure it out. And then you start talking to people about it. And they all give you this look. Like, uh-huh. Yeah. I took the class too. And, and it's like, but that's not the field that we're playing in. You know what I mean? And it's like, we have to play this bureaucratic mess. And, you know, play it out in these children's lives. And it, it's really sad um, what we're doing, but it's really clear that we already know. We could be teaching kids the concepts we withhold till master's degree level, um, but we mm -hmm. aren't. So that's why I, I, I mean, I just started teaching kids the things that I was learning. I, all right, I started using the materials I was using at NYU with 10th graders to prove that there is no levels to things. And then I started taking things that were for children and using them in my class and then making them college level essays on them to make it like to show that you can take anything and make it complicated. I started breaking all these different rules and just the way that I started sending kids on field trips to following like their dream careers around for a full day. So they go to a, like a law firm and follow that person around. They would come back and then run the, uh, the, the, the amount of money they'd, they'd make, the amount of money they'd spend, the amount of money their education would take from the top school. And then they would figure out how much money they had left in debt, you know? And so I just, I kind of went wild and I had this wonderful administrator that let me go wild. So I did everything and I did all these experiments with the way kids work. And meanwhile, I was unschooling at home with my son. And so, and I mean, that doesn't mean that we don't, we don't learn anything. I mean, we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one education. We do immersion. We do hands-on. We do, you know, um, we do discussion-based dialectic learning. Um, and I do a lot of critical thinking. And I actually include that in my course because uh, none of these things are being taught in school. I, I mean, I went, I, I basically learned what our society is doing by being a teacher and seeing how we're constructing our society through our public schools. And all, like, we can predict what people are going to be like a lot of times in public school, in high school, their junior and senior year. We can look at their grades and then we can predict how they'll do in college and all this kind of stuff. But it doesn't actually tell you what they're actually possible as, a, as like, a person 
and what their actual impact is like emotionally on the people around them socially. It doesn't tell you all these actually valuable things and it only rewards two types of intelligences, the logic, like the logic side and then the verbal side and then there's seven other intelligences that have been identified and we don't reward any of those, you know what I mean? And so for me it was like I was doing this all at home, seeing my son. I, I didn't teach my son music, and my son can play music. I showed him a few chords when he was already playing guitar much later on. But, I mean, he's, he's taught himself to play because I've given him the opportunity to play and given him the assumption that, of course, he can play. Oh, yeah, you'll just pick it up. Just keep going. And then he just did it. And so... I mean, and it's the same thing with working outside. It's like, oh, we're going to put this in. This is how it works. And I just explained it to my five-year-old and my nine-year-old. And they understand it. And so it's like all these layers and all these levels. And the way we re reduce everyone to a, a number and a type um, don't exist. And so for me, doing unschooling was... I mean, I read Dumbing Us Down by John Taylor Gatto before I even started teaching. So I was yeah. kind of already on, um, like a, on that path. yeah, on that path. Um, so my, my wife like definitely didn't understand at first and I had to explain it to her, but that was like really healthy because then I can explain it, you know, to other people that way too. Yeah. So, I mean, doing what I'm doing now and actually the funny thing was I, I James, our first son, is kind of like a Burton pancake in the in, in, in the sense that he, we did let him go to preschool. We did let him go to public school for a minute. And he had, you know, a bad experience, you know, and he he just saw the way that it created bullies and he was like, why does that work that way? And he, he mm -hmm. just like saw it from this like intellectual side and was like, this is bizarre. Why are they... Well, you know, why is it working this way? And we couldn't, like, you know, give him much answer other than uh, what I knew to be true, right? And so I had to give him a solution because you can't ever tell painful truths without providing a solution, right? As a parent, that's what it feels like we have to do. Um, and so we just started introducing this idea of um, learning at your own pace, learning what you want to learn, um, and learning in a one-on-one -on -one context or in small groups and my son loves it he just he just wishes more people did it because he talks to kids and they're just echoing like the tv or youtube or facebook or a meme they're just like echoing it back and they're just not processing it um and there's not much going on, and it's really kind of sad, and it's hard for kids who are really switched on to the world and understand what's going on, whose parents um, took the time to figure out how to tell the full truth without it being too painful, right, or damaging. Because, um, I mean, my, my, my kids understand that there, there's pollution. They understand that the world, you know, that the world is experiencing some serious trauma right now, uh, ecologically speaking, and they understand that we are, it's our responsibility to fix it, and we can fix it. And that gives them hope in the face of all that. For me, it was like, 
being able to <laughs> shift into the higher gears that I never could reach before and then I could like really go faster. What I found with the kids is just basically giving them the opportunities, you know, like opening up these the opportunities for them to follow what they're interested in. And then if we can't provide them with, you know, the then pulling in mentors, right? Like pulling in other people who are interested in the stuff that they're doing. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, community is so critical in, in raising children because uh, we have these wise elders that either, you know, are extended family or like extended family that really can add to children's um, learning and, and reverence of learning because they, sometimes, you know, the kids go through stages where they're squirrely at home, but they hold still for other people. <laughs> oh, exactly. Or something that's not, you know, something that I don't know a lot about. Like, you know, Sierra with the permaculture, I've, I've kind of been journeying along with her on that. And then our, our next daughter, Ocean, who is 12 now, she's super into carpentry. and. Um, you know, Curtis, is, Curtis knows skills on that, but I think it won't be far until uh, Ocean surpasses him on that too, right? We're pulling in timber framing mentors or whatever for her, right? Because she's she's really keen on that. And it's really neat to see that, you know, they have different passions when they're given the opportunity to, you know, explore what they're interested in. And it was neat. I was listening to Sierra and Ocean the other day when they were shoveling their horse barn, whatever, down there. And, they're, and Sierra said, you know, you're really good at building. And I, and I you know, I'm maybe you can help me. Like I need to design a new chicken coop, but I don't know how to build it. So can you help me with the building part? And I'm going to design this and we can work together. So it's pretty neat to see, you know, it's like watching it, them all functioning together. Right. Absolutely. And it, it, I mean, I only have two children, so it, it's, it's, it's gotta be magnifying the effect. But when my children and I work together and we're really working together, like when we play music, and everyone's playing in time and we're playing like that for like five to ten minutes straight it's it's amazing I mean there's something cool and amazing and touching and beautiful about harmony in the home and and I, I believe that it's natural and I, I think that's what we all want and when our food and our landscape and our home and our lifestyle are extensions of that it can't help but reinforce the confidence we have in what we say, the comfort and gratitude in which we speak, uh, and those things translate, and I believe they they magnify and distill, you know, upon children as they grow up. And so, raising kids in these kind of contexts has a totally different effect um, than raising them without nature, without you know examples of failure that you just can't. I mean, when you raise chickens, um, you're going to have some failure. When when you raise animals in general, there's going to be heartache on some level. And that, I mean, that oh, really teaches you so much about life. Oh, it does. Because, you know, I, I grew up not in any of those lessons. Like, I, you know, I think I lost a fish when I was a kid, right? So I didn't ever, I had never lost an animal until we, as a family, lost our first goat, right? And it was like, so I was going through what the kids were learning then as young kids. I was learning as an adult, right? So it's those skills that you really, um, that, you know, that, that are just part of your everyday life, raising your kids this way. Yeah, and, and I think a little bit of it, like sometimes I, I wonder with the whole social media and I, I think like, am I doing value by posting what I'm doing? Because I think a lot of times it kind of gets romanticized, the whole, you know, farming, living back to the land thing. So I try to keep it real sometimes and post, you know, this isn't all 
<laughs> you know, there's no, it's not all happy and joy and amazing. You know, there's, there is the heartaches and there is the tough lessons to learn too, right? Right. And you because Jeff, it's, there's a fine line between people thinking it's this romantic, amazing thing, you know, um, doing this. And then the reality of it is it's not, it's not always like that. And sometimes it, it does really, you know, suck. <laughs> it's not great all the time. Right. So, but sometimes it is. So it's that balance, right? Making sure that people can truly see that real balance of what it's like. Right. Absolutely. I think Jeff Lawton talks about this. He says that a lot of people see, you know, the harvesting of their first chicken as like this rite of passage um, because we, we see it as something we need to care for, but everything's on a cycle. You know, everything's on this cycle of, of, of burst and bloom and decay. And so we mm -hmm. just need to understand, you know, that and respect and honor the cycle, not just the bloom, you know, in our society, Twitter or Facebook or, or the TV, if you if people still even watch that thing, um, you know, the, the, we, we worship the bloom only. It's like we, we have all these young, beautiful people on TV who are dolled up to look even more beautiful and unreal and it's like you know they're the flower you know they're not even the 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 bud they're not even the the the, the seeds which are the next generation you know they're not the progression and so it's mm -hmm. like honoring the progression is something that that we don't get in our society we're so focused and cut off from cycles and when children are, are raised with, with having death and decay and these things as normal parts of cycle, we can honor them and place them in, our, in ourselves in, in a way that's more emotionally mature. And, and that's why, you know, it's like a rite of passage, like Jeff said. It's, we, if we go through these things earlier on in life, we have a greater maturity later on. And, like, as it builds generationally, I mean... People talk about how great our ancestors were and the things they did, and we read our family's histories, and these things are so incredibly powerful, but we are their product. We are them. And I feel that so many people, they just need to feel that to, to rise up to that challenge. And I think that if they get raised in the context like we're raising our children, that they can really resonate with that and feel that call and answer it. I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> the kids had to let the pig out of his little cage because he was squeaking in his cage. I don't know if you heard him in the background there. So now we got a pig making rounds here. <laughs> wow, that was an incredible talk with the Robinsons. It was more like hanging out with another family than an interview. I really appreciate the work that they're doing, both in their family and in their community. It is inspiring, and I hope more people follow their example and homeschool and act as community teachers as a family teaching families. If you're interested in permaculture, you should check out my book series, The Permaculture Student, or my online course, which is for all ages. It's designed so that communities can take it, families can take it, individuals can take it. If you want to do that, you're going to go to www.thepermaculturestudent.com and there's course sign up, there's the shop, there's even sample videos and samples of my student work. There's a lot of things on there. So hop on over there, check it out, 
it, it it's the fastest way to learn permaculture that I've found simply because I wrote the first book uh, at middle school age. So it's like, you know, the Harry Potter or the Percy Jackson, easy, easy reading level for permaculture and permaculture concepts. And it's been checked over by experts all over the world in all different fields. And it all checks out and it rocks. I'm super excited to, to have that. I'm super excited to offer that. I'm super excited that it's being used in schools all over the world. And it's only heating up. More and more schools are getting into this. The farm to school movement realizes that they've got science happening in the garden, but they have no idea how to articulate it and connect it to the classroom. But permaculture does that without even thinking. It actually categorizes that and places an understanding for us such that we organize our understanding. Like we go through school memorizing things and it's difficult, but with permaculture, it actually places things. And so it's a lot easier to understand and retain. So if you're looking for something that will help you understand permaculture fast, something that's a easy, clear academic reference, check out the permaculture student series. I have the first one out and I'm writing the second one right now. I'm halfway through it. And I have an online course that works with the first set. It's the Permaculture Student One, the textbook and the workbook, and you can find it on thepermaculturestudent.com. I hope you guys have a wonderful week, and I hope you have a wonderful month and a wonderful spring. I hope everyone is planting. I hope everyone is starting seeds. I hope everyone is gearing up, because I feel like this spring is going to be the biggest spring in the history of the world for gardeners. I feel like there are more people interested in gardening than there have ever been in the history of the world, and the reality is this. There are more people on the world than there have ever been. There are more people interested in seed saving than there have ever been. I mean, all of our ancestors did it, but there weren't that many of them. And we, 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 our population really grew after we stopped gardening. So we have all these people that for a generation forgot about gardening. And now we have all their children and all the generations above them all turning back to gardening all at once. So it's this incredible moment in time where families are, and communities are all turning to each other. We're valuing each other, we're sharing, we're, we're hanging out. It's an amazing opportunity. And I hope that everyone seizes upon it. I hope that you share seeds with someone, swap seeds on the International Seed Swap Day, the Equinox. I encourage you all to share seeds with someone, share some with your neighbors, have a conversation about food and, and, and about seeds with your neighbor. And I hope you have an amazing, amazing spring. And I hope this is the biggest garden you've ever had. And I hope it's the biggest success you've ever had in the garden. From Permaculture Tonight, have a great one. <laughs>